Okay, before we get going, I should just let you know that you're going to hear the odd F word here and there. It's only ever used as a means of emphasis and it's part of how I speak. There are countless tales or stories about how we ought to live our lives. From the earliest cave paintings depicting spirits or symbols to the fairy tales that offer moral messages to children. Stories are universal reference points that guide our lives. We're expected to be ambitious, find everlasting love, to take care of our health and so on. Such narratives supply simple rules about how we ought to live and what our priorities ought to be. This series is brought to you with the support of the LSE and in this episode brought to you by the letter T for tales. We'll take a closer look at the stories we tell ourselves about what ought to make us happier and how we can overcome those which don't make us happy and to live more authentically. Dominant social narratives can make our lives easier by supplying guidelines for behaviour and they might sometimes make us happier too. Life can be complex and chaotic and stories can help to guide us through the mess but they are at heart stories and ones that may not have originated with present day people in mind. Many of these stories create a kind of social dissonance where they cause more harm than good. They may become narrative traps. It's for each of us to work out the good and the bad stories and not to be unduly influenced by what society might want for us, what our parents might expect and what our friends are doing and what even our idealised selves might think we should do. But most of all, we need to accept that we will be influenced by social narratives or sometimes be harmed by the social sanctions that come from not conforming. We need to accept all of this. Some middle-aged bloke stood up and shouted that I should stop swearing at Cheltenham Science Festival, just as I was discussing how there is no good evidence to suggest that swearing is harmful, well, except to that bloke, of course. And in fact, it makes students pay more attention in teaching environments. His argument was that, as a professor at the LSE, I should not swear. But why the fuck not? Who says? But let's be clear. I was only swearing as a means of emphasis. It's the only context within which I ever swear in the workplace. It's the only context within which you'll hear it in these episodes. What stories are you living by, for good or for ill? Think about reaching. Reaching for more money that's going to make you happier, more successful you get, the happier you'll be. The more education you get, the happier you'll be. The healthier you are, the happier you'll be. Having more money, more status, being smarter, being healthier. They are all good for us, but maybe only up to a point, and sometimes we get carried away. We can become addicted to them, not only in ourselves, but in our expectations of other people. Working class people, for example, are expected to want to strive for more and are judged really harshly if they don't. So when it comes to money, for example, we know that poverty makes people miserable. So money does make a difference. And that narrative might serve us very well then when we're poor. But the constant accumulation of more and more and more and more can be harmful. It can be harmful if we're just taking new jobs every time, looking at how much we're going to earn, without considering the work-life balance and other factors critical to our happiness. So be alert to these dominant social narratives and how they guide your decisions, and especially when they're influencing you past the point at which they're helpful. In a related way, think about markers of status. When I publicly stated that I was not particularly eager to read fiction, other academics in the press judged me pretty harshly. So not only am I expected to conform to stories about how LSE professors ought to behave when I'm in work, but I'm expected to use my leisure time in ways that conform with that stereotype. 
I've often felt obliged to rein in who I am because I do not conform to what's expected of me as a person in my chosen career. Such messages can be detrimental to children from working class families. Stereotypes about appropriate accents and lifestyles may deter them from attending university. Those who make it into middle class occupations face self-consciousness and insecurity about fitting in. The choice really is to either fit in or to fuck off. I want those who feel more obliged to fit in at work or elsewhere not to be chastised if they want to behave in ways that are inconsistent with the prevailing social stories. So long as they do their jobs well, who cares? As well as reaching, we should also strive to be related in various ways. That marriage will make you happier. That people in monogamous relationships are happier. That having children will make you happier. That doing things for other people should be cleansed of any personal benefit. Now again, sometimes these narratives will make some people happier, but not all of the people all of the time. And the narratives surrounding marriage and children in particular can be very harmful for women many of whom are perfectly happy being single and child-free. As for love and marriage, narrative traps are everywhere. Think back to your bedtime stories as a kid, and I bet these words are lodged somewhere in your brain, and they fell in love, got married, and lived happily ever after. These imagined happy endings stick with us as adults. Most consider marriage to be part of an ideal lifestyle, and we often project these preferences onto other people. For example, People might think that being an unmarried 40-year-old is unlucky or that they're yet to meet the one, as if being married is something for everyone and assuming that there is someone out there for everyone. Once we find the right partner, that person is expected to, well, pretty much provide everything from sexual fulfillment to sharing of household tasks. Unsurprisingly, this expectation can be harmful. There are two types of love. Passionate love, which is experienced in the initial stages of a relationship, and most closely resembles lust, even addiction, usually lasts for a year or two. And then companionate love, where we form a deep commitment to someone once the passionate love has subsided. Passionate love ought to subside, and yet the prevailing narrative plays such a high premium on it, as if you're meant to love someone after 10 years like you did after 10 minutes. Women are significantly affected by the narrative of marriage. There's certainly lots of evidence suggesting that women who have children are unhappier than those that don't. Could be due to anxiety and worry that comes from having children. But the point is that it's for you to work out what works for you. So what can we do to avoid these narrative traps? Well, the first thing to do is to accept that we fall prey to them. We're not that special. We're bound to be influenced by what society expects of us. We've got to accept our fallibility. A lot of unnecessary misery arises from demanding that things should be different and that we should be different. Focusing on happiness is one of the main ways of overcoming the biases that are driven by social stories. Our experiences matter, not so much the stories that we tell about them. Constantly monitoring happiness will be effortful though, so you need to develop some rules of thumb. Sometimes following the stories will be consistent with reducing misery and being happier, but other times it won't. It's hard to tell. So all I suggest you do is don't follow those narratives blindly, but instead get feedback on how different experiences make you feel. You could even try spending some time with people you wouldn't normally hang out with. Try going to a cultural event you've not even tried. New experiences are really good for our well-being. And read a selection of papers and perspectives on the same issue. Spend time with an eclectic group of people who might challenge your narrative. 
I would love to work with anyone in order to raise awareness of how narratives can powerfully affect what we do. I'd especially like to work with schools and universities on these issues, as it's critical to promote more accurate and helpful perspectives on happiness from a young age. And also with companies, we really do want to tackle diversity and inclusion issues, including those that relate to social class. I'm one of the few successful working class people who hasn't moderated his accent, attitudes and actions too much to fit in without fucking off. But it's not been easy and I'd like to share more of these experiences and lessons with you. No man is an island. We're social creatures and we benefit from connections to others. But sometimes the stories surrounding how we ought to behave can be unhelpful. We should get married, have kids, aim for career success, all the things that make us a grown-up. But will those things actually make us happier? Well, if these narratives work for you, that's great, crack on. But no one towel fits everybody. If you want to be in a thruple and it makes you happy, do it. If you're satisfied with monogamy, do it. Have kids, don't have kids. Just stop forcing your opinion on others. Adopt a more open mind and you'll stop doing things just because it's what's expected to be done and you'll be happier for it. And so will those that you stop judging. My ambition in creating Get Happier goes beyond simply offering a free copy and ending it there. I intend to foster a community of individuals who can make society happier using rigorous and relevant evidence with minimal effort. Subscribe to my Substack where I share resources and insights so that all of us, individual citizens, employees, employers, parents and policymakers can get happier.